This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, we're, we're still young, right? This is, you should have energy. We are going to begin our seminar. And, of course, as much as possible, I always encourage people to move as close to the front. We're all family of God. Amen? So we shouldn't be uh, resistant uh, to, to drawing closer to one another. All these empty seats here and there, like salt and pepper in the audience, we can fill those in. Um, I won't make it mandatory, because uh, I understand, you know, some of us are just a little shy. And uh, the Lord will work on your heart in his own time. Secondly, um, I just want to give you a little bit of a trajectory of the layout of the land, of where we're going to be going this week. I am extremely excited by this subject when we chose it uh, as a seminar to say, how can you talk about the Holy Spirit and not talk about discipleship and being spirit-led? The Holy Spirit... First of all, we're going to deal with the idea, um, Vikram and I will be going back and forth, and Vikram, you saw him on stage last night if you were here, and he's right up here up front supporting me and giving me moral courage uh, to press on. And uh, we'll be tag-teaming this seminar. Uh, I'll be doing the first sessions of each section. We'll give you a little break, and then Vikram will finish out. And so I'll be dealing with, first of all, personally, what does it mean and what are the conditions that we need to fulfill to be filled with the Holy Spirit, personally? Vikram will be dealing with the corporate infilling of the Holy Spirit. Then in the second module this afternoon, I'll be beginning to talk about Christ and Spirit-led discipleship, as illustrated in Jesus' life. And then Vikram will be looking at a case study of Paul's life. And we'll be going back and forth again from Seminar 2 to Seminar 3. In the third module, we'll be dealing with very, very deep practicals. We'll go through some, um, I'll be looking at an exegetical study of the book of Matthew and to show that the way that the book of Matthew is structured is designed to show us what Christ sought as to be paramount to what he needed to teach his disciples. That the disciples were the core of everything Jesus did. That's what he had in mind. So that's kind of where we'll be heading on. Vikram will be also ending in that third module uh, we'll be talking about Bible memorization, getting the word in your heart, because thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Yes. There's no better way to not be filled with the Holy Spirit than to keep sin in our lives. So practically, we need to have practical ways to combat the sinful tendencies, cultivated or hereditary, albeit there's still power through God to overcome those things. And that is really where Vikram and I want to end this seminar, is on that. So... With that being said, this morning, I'm going to have a quick word of prayer. We will look at the five commissions in the New Testament of what did Jesus tell his disciples to do before he left. And in that commission, we'll use that as a launching pad into the qualifications of being filled with the Spirit. So that's what we'll be looking at, some, all the four commissions, the five commissions in the New Testament, and then we'll look at a verse in Ephesians chapter 5 and begin to develop that into process what are the conditions of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and pray together as we get started. Father in heaven, 
these young people could have chosen any seminar. And we know, Lord, that it is not because of any wisdom that we have above any man, but that there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets, who is concerned about the condition of his church, and especially young people whom he has called at such a time as this. It is an honor to serve and to be used. And we pray that that will exactly describe what's going to take place in these next 50 minutes. That we would be used. That we would not use God or His Word, but that His Word would speak clearly to every soul. Father, You know that I am but dust in Your sight, and I ask that You would breathe upon me breath of God and fill me with life in You. Speak through me and speak to me, that we all may be blessed and that Jesus may be uplifted is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew, chapter 28. So we're going to be looking at the five commissions and what exactly did Jesus command us to do. When you're there, you can say amen. If you're not there, you can say have mercy. All right. Matthew, chapter 28. Are you there? I'm not there. <laughs> Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse, 19, um, verse 18 to 20. And what we want to look at is, what did Jesus command his disciples to do? So whenever you're studying the Bible and you want to get the action of a passage, you look at the verbs in the text. What do you look at? The verbs. You want to look at what is the action taking place. Verbs like is, be, went, present, beseech. Those verbs give you action in the Bible, what is taking place. And most things in the Bible are describing the actions that's going on. So adjectives, adverbs, nouns, who's receiving the action, who's committing the action, but the verbs give you the action. And so when we look at Matthew 28 and verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All what? Power, if you have the King James, if you have the New King James or NIV, it'll say all authority. He says, all power or authority has been given to me in heaven and where? On the earth. Now, in the Bible, there are two different words that are mainly used for the concept of power and authority. The first word is the one that many of you probably are familiar with. It is, comes from this Greek root called dunamis. Now, you in English is upsilon in Greek, and it's usually spelled as a Y. So if you're ever reading a Greek Bible, it'll look like it says dynamis, but it's actually pronounced dunamis. Now, dunamis has to do with ability. This is one word you'll find in the Bible for power. We'll get to that in Acts chapter 1. He says, and ye shall receive power. That word is dunamis. Now, the next word that we have in the Bible is the Greek word exousia. Okay, this is a root, and this deals with authority or the right to do something. So Christ says, all what? Power, or the newer translations use the correct, which would be authority. That means Jesus says, I have every right. He's not talking about ability. We usually use this to say, Christ has the power, but it's not dealing with the power, it's dealing with the right, the position. Now, let me explain what I mean in practical terms. In Matthew chapter 8, you remember that a centurion came to Jesus. And this centurion came 
And he said, Lord, my servant at home is sick. And while his servant was at home is sick, the Jews commended this centurion to Jesus and said, look, you should heal his servant because he helps the Jews. He supported a synagogue on and on and on. And you know what the man said to Jesus? He says, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. What? Only. Now, follow me for a little bit. The next statement of the man was, I am also a man set under authority. I speak to one to say go, and what does he do? If I say to another come, he does what? If I tell him to sit down, he? So now, the man, the centurion, doesn't have to physically act on his word. He just has to what? Speak. So being set under authority means whatever you say, everything in this realm, let's say for him it's in the Roman army, but Christ says all authority is given to me in two places. What are those two places? Heaven and earth. Now, follow this. In heaven and earth. So now, if you look at the earth and you look at heaven, I hope this thing does not fall over. Earth and heaven. So now, when you sit down and think all authority, that means Jesus can speak to anything in the earth and it will do what? Are you, are you still with me? Yes. When a man is set under authority, he says to someone, go, and it will what? Go. So when Christ says, it's the same word in the Greek, exousia. I am also a man under authority. So he sits in this position where he can speak to anything on the earth or he can speak to anything in heaven. So now the question is, what is in heaven? It's okay, you can answer. You got, I mean, you said what? The Father is in heaven. What else? Angels are in heaven, and there's one other person in heaven. The Holy Spirit, yes? So now Jesus says, I have all what? Authority. So he promises in, in, in John 14, we'll come to this later, where he says, I'm going to pray the Father, and he will send you the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus goes to heaven, his sacrifice is accepted, he's anointed as that high priest, he says, all authority. So I can speak to the Father and say, Father, you need to give that gift of the Holy Spirit. I can speak to the Holy Spirit and say, go, and the Holy Spirit will what? He will go. So Jesus can say, Holy Spirit, come, and the Holy Spirit will come. So right here in the Great Commission, Jesus says, before I tell you to go, I need you to know that I have authority. In heaven and in earth. Should have been a stronger amen. amen. Maybe you haven't experienced that authority in your life. But there's nothing to remove fear more effective than understanding and accepting that statement. Sometimes we go over and, you know, we go to the mechanic and we feel like the guy is just scheming us out of extra money. You brought it in. You just needed your tire fixed. Next thing you know, hey, your carburetor's a little off. You may want to get your spark plugs changed. My car was functioning just fine until I came to the mechanic and now the mechanic is telling me there's umpteen things wrong you're like Lord you, you feel like you're just getting done in but the reality is Jesus has authority over the mechanic are you understanding what I'm saying and therefore for a Christian there's no need for us to be concerned or afraid because Jesus is set under authority he can speak to the mechanic and he can give it to you for free if he wants to amen let me I, I, I I could go on and on on this point, but we don't have a lot of time. 
All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And in verse 19, notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 28. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. So now, let's break down what's happening here in Matthew verb-wise. So first of all, Jesus says, go. First verb. Okay? The second verb is what? What's the second action Jesus commands? Teach, right? Or if you have the newer translation, it says, make disciples. Then the third one is, make disciples. What's the third one? It's okay to talk to the preacher. (laughs) Baptize. Yes. He says, baptize. And then the fourth one is, teach again, right? Teaching them to observe. Now, these two words in Greek are two different words. That's why we have the King James. It looks like he says, teach, baptize, and then teach. In English. But they're two different things. Here, this word, it comes from a Greek word, mathetaeus, which means to make disciples. Whenever you're looking in the New Testament for the word disciple, that's probably going to be the root word you're going to find. Mathetes. Now, after Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, there's something that comes out in Greek that you don't get in English. See, in Greek, we have, this, we have these words, it's a little more diverse than English. We have things called mood. What is it called? The mood. Now, it doesn't mean that the words can get moody. That's not what it means. What mood means is, how does this verb correspond to reality? How does it what? How does this correspond to reality? So if it's in the indicative mood, that means it's true. Like, this corresponds to reality. But this is in the imperative mood, and imperative means it is a command. What is it? It's a command. So now, of all the verbs here, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach, the only one that is a command is this one. The primary action that Jesus is commanding his disciples to do is to make disciples. You don't have to leave your neighborhood to make disciples. Amen? Not necessarily a command. Some of us think we do, and we love to be missionaries where we are not. But we need to learn to be missionaries where we are. It's okay. You can say amen. So we we need to learn to say, this is the command. Everything else is, after you make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Who's them? The people you made a disciple of. Are you with me? So now, in Matthew's gospel, he says, these are the actions that Jesus told his disciples, and we think this is what we're supposed to be doing. But we tend to stop at Matthew 28, do we not? I guarantee most of us have not looked at Mark, Luke, and John to see what did Jesus tell his disciples. Because we have something called complementary study of the Bible. You see... No one person can fully take in Jesus' life. That's why there's four books about just the life of one man. Because no matter the angle or the perspective we take on Jesus' life, one person cannot take it all in. People miss details. 
They have a personal experience and a background that certain teachings reach them that other teachings don't. Don't you find that to be true in your experience? There's just some preachers, some people love, and you're like, eh. Then there's other preachers you love, and other people are like, eh. Then there's certain sermons you go to church, and everyone's like, that was powerful. And the person next to you is like, I can't believe he just said that. It happens at GYC all the time. So we come back to the e-com, and we're having our e-com meetings, and you're like, yeah, man, wasn't that a blessing? And other people are like, mm, you know, God uses everyone. But this is the same thing with the Gospels, and so I want to suggest to you that it's not enough for us just to read Matthew's commission, but to look at Mark, Luke, and John, and even Acts chapter 1 before Jesus left, and that's what we're going to do. So let's go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, we don't have a lot of time. Mark 16, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 18. Mark 16. 14 to 18. Are you there? You can say amen. Okay, if you're not there, say have mercy. It's right next book. Now, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says this. Later he appeared to the eleven. As they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Notice, this is the disciples. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to what? Every creature, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, it's very interesting. Number one, Jesus rebukes their unbelief. And here he's about to send out some people who are still struggling to accept his passion at the cross and still struggling to accept the fact that Jesus is alive. Can you imagine Jesus told you at least four times, after I die, I'm going to rise again. Four times he tells them that. And then after Jesus dies, some young ladies come and say, Peter, John, James, guess what? Jesus is alive. He's risen. You're like, no, I don't believe it. The Lord told you, you have witnesses, and they're still slow of heart to believe. But the encouragement in this verse, not so much the rebuke, is that even though you and I have struggles of faith to accept what Jesus has done for us and it wants to do in us, he still wants to send us. Amen? Some of us think I have to have more knowledge, more training. I, I don't fully get the cross. I don't fully get the resurrection. It doesn't impact me the same. That doesn't mean stay at home and wait for it to impact you. We're not waiting for the cross and the resurrection to impact us. It is the spirit that does that impacting. But this is where we, we've missed the link. We've preached the cross, we've preached the resurrection, we've preached the ascension and the high priestly ministry, but we've missed something that the disciples needed and we needed. And so in Mark, he's commissioning these men who are slow of heart to believe. And he tells them in verse 15, go into where? Where does he want them to go? 
All the world. Now, you remember in Matthew's gospel, he says, go make disciples of what? How many nations? All nations. That word for nations is ethnos. What is it? Ethnos, which is where we get what word, do you think? Ethnic, right? So every culture is supposed to be made a disciple of Jesus. That's his commission. Now, you have Jews are supposed to go make Chinese people disciples. And sometimes we think culture is a limitation and a boundary. But clearly Christ says, no, you are to make disciples of how many nations? All. So the very fact that America is a melting pot or a salad or whatever you want to call it, haystacks, the country, it doesn't matter what culture it is. We are to make disciples of every nation. And it's reiterated in the fact that your mission as a disciple is global. This is not a local mission. This is not regional. This is global. All the world is the vision that Jesus has. And he's reiterating that in Mark. And he says, preach the gospel to every creature, just means individuals, not animals or, you know, you understand. Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. Notice the signs. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new what? Tongues. When have we seen people in the Bible speaking in tongues? Where? Sorry, you don't have to whisper. If you're going to answer, be bold, you know. Even if you're wrong, still be bold. <laughs> so they're going to they're gonna be speaking in tongues when? At Pentecost. So at Pentecost, we find them speaking in tongues after what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, I want you to go quickly, keep your finger here, go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 10. This is the story of the man that was healed at the gate beautiful. You remember this story? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus do I. Rise up and walk. Now, notice what Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 10 about this miracle. He says... Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the what? The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Now I want you to understand something. Peter was able to do that miracle because what? Was he able to do this miracle before? No. And he says the way that this man was healed was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But we know that it was after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you you with me? So now being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is really the spirit of Christ in the disciple. And the spirit of Christ in Peter was able to heal the man. Peter says, it's not me. But it was in the name of Jesus. And he says, it's by Christ that this man walks. But where is Jesus? Physically, Jesus is where? He's in heaven. But by his spirit, he is on earth. In his disciple. So in my name, they will do these signs is another illusion to the Holy Spirit. But we've been missing it in the commission. We said all authority in heaven, there's the spirit. And Christ can send the Spirit. 
because he has all authority. We see in Mark, in my name, the same experience. Let's go to John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 20 of John, chapter 20. When you're there, you can say amen. All right, John chapter 20. This is what the Bible says. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad when you saw the Lord? Yes, no, maybe you haven't seen the Lord. Pray that you see, see the Lord before you leave GYC. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Notice those next words. And when he had said this, he breathed upon them and said to them, Receive the what? The Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. The word so in English means in like manner, in the same way. So here I was in the bosom of the Father, John chapter 1 and verse 18, no man have seen God at any time, save the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So Christ came down to reveal the Father, and now Jesus says, as the Father sent me to make Him known, I'm sending you to, to do what? To make me known. But can you do that without Jesus' Spirit? No. And Jesus didn't do it without the Spirit. So now we have receive the Holy Spirit. Now I want to go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke 24, and we're going to start in verse 46. Are you there? Yes? All right. The Bible says this. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to how many nations? There we again, we see that it's preaching, it's to all nations, but notice Luke adds a detail that other ones did not add. He says, beginning. Where? At Jerusalem. Sometimes the commission that Christ sends, you're like, where do we begin? Right here in Jerusalem, where you are. Wait, wait, wait. you don't understand. Jerusalem is hostile to the message of Christ. The Jews hate Jesus. They, in fact, they crucified him. The disciples fled. They were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. And you want us to start in Jerusalem? Yes, I want you to begin in Jerusalem. Begin at home. And then he says in verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now I want you to 
Notice there is no go in Luke's gospel. There is no go. Luke says the last words of Jesus was not hurry up and get excited and go out and do evangelism. The commission, the only word in the imperative, imperative meaning command in Luke 24 is wait. Can you imagine on the day of Pentecost as we go to Acts chapter 1? Go to Acts chapter 1. This is where our last fifth commission comes in. Acts chapter 1. Here again, the Lord is about to leave. In verse 4. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Are you there? Yes? All right. He says this. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. But you shall receive power. That's dunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So I want you to notice the two books written by Luke, Luke and Acts. Luke says the last words of Jesus was not go. We say the Great Commission, this is the mission of the church, and we're right. But we miss a component of the commission. The commission, or the thing that I want you to do, Jesus says, is not to go first, it's to wait. In the words of Ellen White, the missionary movement is far advanced of the missionary spirit. In other words, what she is saying is there's a lot more action going on without the Spirit. Can you imagine if Peter went out to preach the day before Pentecost? How many souls would have been baptized? Do you think? One, two, three. My suspicion is Peter might have been killed that day. That's just my suspicion. You wouldn't even have Peter throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Peter probably would have been killed, stoned to death right then and there. But there's something that happens that Peter and the other apostles in that upper room for 10 days, they waited. Because the command was to wait. And in this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to precede the actions of the church. But you see, now we've gone from being filled with the Holy Spirit was a common experience. Now it's uncommon. If you ask people, you never find anywhere in the book of Acts or in the Bible where a person was filled with the Spirit and didn't know. Individuals knew. And in being filled with the Spirit, it was understood. You wait until the Spirit comes. But how often in our personal lives do we move before the Spirit tells us to move? How often do we start ministries before the Spirit tells us to start ministries? How often do we say, you know what, I'm going to go on this mission trip before the Spirit says go on this mission trip? You see, in the words of Ellen White, the reason why many of us will not be filled with the Spirit is because we refuse to be managed by Him. We want to manage ourselves. 
We want to determine the course of our life. We want to determine where we go, what we do, how we serve, and where we serve. But the Spirit does not come upon such. You see, it is a, it's, a mis, it's a misnomer. It is actually a, a bad way of saying it. We don't pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's not like we're asking for some power. You know, it's not like you're going out and saying, hey, brother, I'm thirsty. Can you give me something to drink? Fill me. Give me this drink. In actuality, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not so much him coming to fill us as much as it's us giving ourselves completely to him. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? To be filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But the question is, many of us, do we really desire to be filled? Do we desire the Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, with infinite love and wisdom to control our lives? That is the question. Well, there is always a showstopper. And the Spirit can say, even though it makes sense to you, that's not what I want you to do. Lord, we can't wait 10 days. Pentecost is coming up. We got to get started now. We need pre-work. Isn't that interesting? Peter had no Bible workers. Amen. Peter had no medical missionaries, no call porters before he preached on Pentecost. And I'm speaking to myself. If you're going to do a successful evangelistic series, you need to have pre-work. Amen? And I'm not knocking pre-work, but I'm saying that how far have we come to use methods to substitute for being filled with the Spirit? And we say, Lord, these are our methodologies, and we wonder why those who trickle in are so small. This isn't even the latter rain. This is the early rain. So our works of ministry are important. The missionary movement is far in advance of the missionary spirit. Many of you are already doing before you took time to wait. And it's unfortunate because when you get baptized, no one tells you that. Am I right? When I got baptized, no one said, Sebastian, we know you're zealous. We know you want to be active right now, but take time to wait. Give yourself fully over to the third person of the Godhead. The Spirit of Christ. We must be controlled, managed, possessed by the Spirit. Not the other way around. For many of us, we're praying like Simon Magus in Acts chapter 8, give me this power. Lord, I have this ministry in New York. Give me this power. Lord, I'm trying to reach my my son, my daughter. I'm trying to reach my husband. I'm trying to reach my best friend. I'm trying to reach my family. Give me this power. When in actuality the prayer is, Lord, teach me how to give myself to you. We are pleading to give up control. And I guarantee you, Most of us do not like to not have control. You can say amen. It's the truth. We like to be in control of our own lives. Am I telling the truth? We like to determine if we're going to get that master's or not. 
We like to determine, are we going to get this job or not? We like to determine where we serve, who we serve, and when we serve. Who wants to wait on God? What if God takes too long? Number one fear, why we don't wait. This opportunity will go. What if God says no? You know, whenever individuals are are in a relationship or they want to get into a relationship with another person, and I'm speaking to Adventists, we have select people that we will ask, what do they think? And we tend to choose people who we think will already agree with us. Am I telling the truth? But there's one or two people in your mind, you know, if I go ask them, they'll say no. I don't know for sure, but if they have a no in their heart, it will come out of their lips. There's certain people we know, and we avoid them. And my suspicion is, sometimes it's because it's a person who does have wisdom, and we just don't want to be stopped in what we want to do. But other times, it is a person who we're like, you know what, this person always says no to things. We always disagree. But you know, even though a person disagrees with you, and they have been wrong in the past, doesn't mean they're always wrong. Amen. And my suspicion is we put God in that category. We don't doubt his love. But you know, sometimes loving parents, sometimes loving people, tell us no to things that we cannot see. Why not? Why do I need to wait? And Jesus says, my command was to wait. But look at your schedules. We don't have time to wait. Then we don't have time for Christ to receive of his spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is where I have to end. I'm not even sure how much time I have left. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Are you there? Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. There are some lessons that we can glean out of this one verse that Paul commands. The theme of the book of Ephesians is on unity. This is just the the common thread through every single chapter of the book of Ephesians. And I want to share with you some elements from this verse. In verse 18, this is what Paul says. Paul says, number one, do not be drunk with wine, wherein there is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, Paul says to be filled with with the Spirit. Now, if I, if I tell you, I want you to be, excuse me, I, I want you to be full of grape juice, number one, you have to receive this grape juice, yes or no? You see, to be filled with the Spirit, number one, he says, to be filled is, you got to receive something. That's what this is a call to do. But I want you to notice, in order for you to be filled, there has to be a filler, yes or no? So now you say, okay, be filled. I'm the recipient of being filled, but who is the filler? Becomes the question. So look at it again. Do not be 
do not be drunk with wine wherein there's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So we know what he wants us to be filled with, but a call to receive something right there is the first stipulation of being filled with the Holy Spirit is to wait. That's stipulation number one. We got to cease activity and wait. Now, I know what I'm saying is crazy. For some of us, we already have plans. We have, I mean, I get paid to do ministry. <laughs> so you think, I can't just wait. I'm, I'm already going. I'm already doing. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later in uh, another seminar session. But nevertheless, it is a call to wait. The second thing is, notice he says in verse 18, be filled. Be is present tense, is it not? Yes or no? It's present tense. So he's saying, be filled with the Spirit is a present experience. This is not something you look back in the past. Oh, you know, I was filled last week. I'm good. That's not the experience that we're talking about. It is a continual present experience. Morning by morning, evening by evening, moment by moment, we are to be filled and we can be filled. We can be filled. I want to share with you this statement. From uh, Acts of the Apostles, page 56. And this is what she says. Every worker who follows the example of Christ will be prepared to receive and use the power that God has promised to his church for the ripening of earth's harvest. Morning by morning, as the heralds of the gospel, kneel before the Lord and renew their vows of consecration to him. He will grant them the presence of his spirit with its reviving and sanctifying power. As they go forth to the day's duties, they have the assurance that the unseen agency of the Holy Spirit enables them to be laborers together with God. Morning by morning, as we renew our vows of consecration to God. What does it mean to consecrate something? It means to say that it is sacred and it is given over to God's use. Each morning, we come to God. Page 56. He says, each morning, when you wake up, even here at GYC, you kneel and I kneel before God to say, Lord, I'm renewing my vows to cherish Jesus above all others. I'm renewing my vows to serve Christ and to honor him. This is my utmost concern. This is my primary work today. And in all of the day's duties and responsibilities, I give myself over to this purpose. And she says, you will have the presence of the Spirit. Amen? We will have it. She says, the assurance that the unseen agency of the Holy Spirit will make us laborers together with God. Can you imagine what our church board meetings will look like? If anyone's been to a church board meeting, you know what I'm talking about. Laborers together with God. Which, by the way, she also mentions, if people came to meetings of our churches... And in our churches, conscious of the presence of God, many things would not be said. And they would be said differently. Because we are conscious of the fact 
it's not the pastor who's chairing the meeting. It is the spirit. But because we don't wait. Is the spirit leading us to do this or not? We spend so much time weighing the pros and cons, we have no time to just pray and ask God. You know, someone came to me. They said, Sebastian, how do you decide what you speak about when you go places? And I said, well, first of all, I just spend time studying. I just study. And then when it's time, I say, Lord, what do you want me to say? That's it. What do you want me to say? If you and I get up to speak and we're not confident that what we are about to say is what God wants us to say, it will come out in how we preach. It will come out in how we speak. Because I'm not confident in my mind. And then if people come and say, oh, I think what you said there was a little confusing. I think that was a little off. I think that was a little extreme. Then we're like taking it personal. Versus I say, look, sometimes when you say what God says, it's not popular. Amen. Ask Jeremiah. The weeping prophet. Sometimes you got to you got to avoid the rah, rah, rah sermon. Let's get excited. Sometimes you got to tell people, sit down and wait. No excitement, no inspiration. Wait before God. One of my favorite statements. Come apart and rest a while in desire of ages. I encourage you to read it. Great chapter. Probably need to read it at least once a week. Just to remind yourself. Because you know it's easier to work than it is to rest. Did you know that? We're, as an Adventist church, we're a busy church. We're busy people. It's hard for us to rest. And at the end of that chapter, she says this. When every other voice is hushed. And in quietness, we wait before God. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. In quietness. This is the iPod generation. You can't get a quiet moment. We like to be hustle and bustle here and there, doing this, doing that, listening to this on my way, jogging with the earbuds in my ear, working out with the earbuds in my ear, driving with the radio on. Can't get silence. God is always speaking. But he's drowned by NPR. He's drowned by whatever radio stations we listen to, whatever CDs we have. And God bless godly music artists who are blessing us with their music. But sometimes you need to put music aside. Be silent. Be for God. So that his voice can become distinct. So be filled with the Holy Spirit is a call to receive. But we receive in quietness before him doesn't have to be sound of a rushing mighty wind all the time. But this is what we think in our minds. Wait before God. Now, i got to move quickly. We also see in Ephesians chapter 5, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? So first of all, we're called to wait. Number two, it is a present experience. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every morning we renew our vows of consecration to God. Number three, notice he says... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not a suggestion. It is not a recommendation. It is a command. Now, remember I told you in the Greek, there's mood, right? Have you forgotten that already? 
There's the mood. And the mood of this word, again, it's the imperative. It's a command. Be filled. I'm not asking. So when Jesus goes around and says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he wasn't asking. He was commanding. This is not an option. This is not, there's an alternative. It is just as necessary and indispensable as salvation. And it's just as much disobedience to not be filled as it is not to yield to repentance. I want you to understand what I'm saying. This is not a request to the church. Be filled if you want to. If you feel like it. If you think it's in your best interest. If you've weighed the pros and the cons of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a command from God. Now think about it. A God of love. Infinite love. Would he not, as we have seen in the Ten Commandments, be very careful in what he commands? Yes or no? Does God have like 1,500 commandments? No, he has 10. So God is not about the business of making commands all the time. He actually gives more promises than he gives commands. Amen. But here's the thing, he says, in this command... Though I'm very limited, this is one that I can't let you know, oh, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. Because out of love for you, he says, I give you these commandments for your good always. Yes or no? Do you believe God? I didn't hear you. If we believe God, then the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not for his good, it's for our good. Are you with me? So the fact that it is a command, the beautiful thing is, in the words of the pen of inspiration, all God's biddings are enablings. Whatever God bids you to do, whatever he commands you to do, he gives you the power to do it. Can you say amen? So being filled with the Holy Spirit is really not so much a command as much as it is a promise. If we will yield. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is a promise. But let's get into some more nuts and bolts and then we'll take a break. The last point that I want to make is that, and I don't want to bore you with all the Greek nuances, but this verb is in the passive voice. The voice in Greek simply means Are you committing the action or are you receiving the action? And passive means the person is receiving the action. Be filled. I need you to receive this action of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So because it is in the passive voice, it is a call to yield to God. It is a call to surrender, to empty ourselves. Can't fill you if we're filled with something else. Amen? Cannot fill what is already filled. So we can't be full of self-confidence. We can't be full of self-indignation. We can't be full of self-love. We have to be empty before God to be filled. And he says, this is something to receive. And this is where I want to end for this session. Acts of the Apostles, 
page 51. One of my favorite statements in all of the spirit of prophecy. It is not a conclusive evidence. It is not conclusive evidence that a man is a Christian because he manifests spiritual ecstasy under extraordinary circumstances. You see, people come to GYC and the gathering of so many spiritually minded people, people can start thinking, oh man, this guy is totally a Christian, totally converted. Let me tell you something. Extraordinary circumstances. It is not every day and every week you get to listen to speakers from all over the world. Amen? Individuals who've been preparing for 8 to 12 months for one sermon. And that sermon has been prayed over hundreds of times. And before that person backstage comes on stage, at least four to five people pray with them. Extraordinary. At your local church, that's not happening. So, extraordinary circumstances, she says, it is not conclusive evidence that a person demonstrates spiritual ecstasy in extraordinary circumstances. This is what she says. Holiness is not rapture. It is an entire surrender of the will to God. It is living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is doing the will of our Heavenly Father. It is trusting God in trial, in darkness, as well as in the light. It is walking by faith and not by sight. It is relying on God with unquestioning confidence and resting in His love. The key component to being personally filled with the Holy Spirit is resting in his love. Let me tell you something. There has been nothing that has blessed and renewed my spiritual life than those four words. Resting in his love. She tells us, you could study the scriptures to understand the love of God every day of your life. You could meditate upon this every day of your life. She says, pen cannot utter it, tongue cannot speak it. Even if We meditated and studied on the love of God every day of our lives. She says, even when we get to heaven, there is an infinity beyond. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So when you look at the depths of the love of God, the reason why we resist Him is because we have a low conception of the depths of His love. She says, God's love is like an ocean, without boundary and without bottom. It is like an abyss of love. You can't find the land. Where does the love run out? It doesn't happen. Where's the love? I know it has a depth. It only goes so far. No, it doesn't. We cannot exhaust the love of the Heavenly Father. She says that when we come to God and we call Him Father in seeking a request of Him, 
It is like music to his ears. Just to hear you say, Father. You ever seen a parent respond to its, its little child? And it says, Daddy or Papa? What do you think happens in the father's mind? Is he like, oh no, not this kid again. You've never seen that. And there's nothing more beautiful than to watch a parent with its little child. And even that doesn't capture, because God is the ancient of days. We are but little children. Little children. And the one thing about a little child is it never questions the strength of its father. It always assumes, I'm going to eat. It, it never worries. You've never seen a little kid worry. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I don't know if I'm going to eat today. Little kids don't worry about that. The beauty of little children is they're carefree. Amen? It's the beautiful thing. They just run around. You know, we're like, oh, wait till you get older. You get homework and bills. And... But we can maintain that same carefreeness in resting in the love of God if we learn to surrender. And God is love. Amen? Not just the Father. Not just the Son. But the Holy Spirit. And He wants to come down and personally fill your life and mine if we learn to rest in His love. Do you want to rest in the Father's love? Let go of all your worries. Let go of your plans because you understand the depths of his love. His plans have to be better than yours. Let go of the ministries that you think you need to be a part of and let your Father choose. Because you trust him with unquestioning confidence. I know what he's doing is the best. I want to conclude on this and then I want to make an appeal. I remember before I was married, my roommate and I, we used to, I used to come home and we used to have these conversations about the love of God. And I remember I was studying it at the time and I was reading Every statement in the spirit of promise. You want to do a study? Just study the love of God in the writings of Ellen White. You will be blown away. Blown away. You start smiling after every statement. Like, I can't believe this. And I'm like, how can you read this and not believe in Ellen White? Even then, after I've studied it every day of my life, there's still an infinity beyond. A boundless ocean without bottom and without shore. And as we would talk about the love of God, I remember one night he was just discouraged and dealing with some hard times. And you want to encourage someone? Just start talking to them about God's love. And I remember by the end of the conversation, his whole countenance was different. Completely different. You could see he was renewed. And the next day he came home, he said, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. I was just thinking about the fact I know how much God loves me and I know the Lord is going to work it out. And there's nothing that brought more peace to my soul to see that what I have received of the Father's love I was able to share. And that's so easy to share, is it not? 
We get so caught up in, let me tell you about state of the dead. Let me tell you about the Sabbath. How about we tell them how much God loves them? That's not what they hear in Islam. That's not what they hear in Hinduism. They hear, I have to appease this angry God. Bring sacrifices. If you do enough, my God says, I already loved you. Long time ago, before you prayed, before you repented, before you confessed, I already loved you. You cannot measure what I poured out in my son. Heaven gave its best. And indeed, heaven came down itself. Why do you think the angels want to be here? Because that's where Jesus was. He is the light of heaven. And Jesus can be the light of your life. If we would just learn to rest in his love. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want to make a simple invitation. I don't know if there's something troubling you while you're here at GYC or maybe even back home. And I want to invite you to embrace surrender as not this burden, not this fear factor. But I want to ask you to surrender to God by saying, Lord, teach me how to just rest in your love. If you say, Lord, that's my desire. I want you to teach me how to rest in your love. I just ask you to stand as we pray. Our Father, we pray that your name would always be hallowed in the earth. That our lives would be used by heaven to correct all the misconceptions of who you are. We focus so much on the peripherals of love that we lose the love itself. And today we are standing simply saying, Lord, we want to rest in your love. We want to be able to go forward in life, even today, December 29th, 2011. We want today to be able to rest and trust God with unquestioning confidence. We want to be able to trust you in the darkness as well as in the light. And as you teach us to rest in your love, that this surrender would show heaven as we are emptied, as we are yielded, and still, that you would have your own way, Lord. That each one of us would be filled individually with your spirit. This is our prayer. Teach us, Lord. Teach us how to rest in your love. Is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.